Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop 24-7 Sports. My name is Andrew Alex. We got a full crew today. Matasis, Doug Bowman, Evan Watkins. How you guys doing? Doing great. I'm excellent. Can't complain at the moment. We'll see how we all feel after this podcast, though. Yep, let's jump right into it, gentlemen. A outstanding crowd at Lane Stadium. A A-plus atmosphere. As good as it gets in Blacksburg, Virginia. A hot start and ultimately a disappointing finish. Notre Dame knocks off Virginia Tech 32 to 29 in front of 66,000, maybe more. Again, Virginia Tech got off to a 10-0 lead. Notre Dame's offense seemed early to be kind of that exact efficient group we thought they might be. Things looked promising, but ultimately no cigar. Evan, we didn't get to talk to you last week, so I want to hear your thoughts. What were your takeaways from Virginia Tech's loss to Notre Dame? Yeah, I mean, just another opportunity kind of washed away for Justin Fuente for Virginia Tech. Uh, you know, Matei and I were talking about this earlier. Uh, you know, this was – if you ever have an opportunity to knock off a very – overvalued top 15 team like this was your time a nationally you know relevant program Notre Dame could win no games and they're still a nationally relevant program you have a chance to knock them off they they have you know quarterback controversy they have holes on the O-line they're without their tight end they uh, you know there's a lot of opportunity there for Virginia Tech to take advantage they come out they do take advantage of it and then you know, in, in pure Virginia Tech fashion, it seems, as of late, uh, they just essentially, you know, pissed the game away, right? Like, they had a chance. They even have a chance late. You go up, Braxton Burmeister, you know, heroic performance, in my opinion. You know, puts the team on his back. He's obviously, he's clearly not 100%. He might not even be 20% scrambles for that touchdown and you're like that that's kind of his his moment if he never plays another down because he's hurt that was his moment he knocked off Notre Dame like good for you congratulations you go down in like instant infamy and then Virginia Tech just I I don't even know like Notre Dame switches quarterbacks because of the Backup quarterback twists his ankle walking off the field. I don't know, turf monster got him. And then it was like, we forgot how to play football, essentially, is what we saw. Like, the defense, you lose Dax Hollyfield, and it's like, what what happens now? Like, I don't, I, I don't know how a losing one player can change the entire outlook of that, the ending of that football game. So, you know, it was... It was interesting, you know, Tech goes up and, and you know, I'm, I'm writing my live story to, to post immediately after the game. And at that point, you start to get the feel of, okay, this, you know, Virginia Tech might might pull this off. Like, they, they might actually win this game. But then, you know, reality sits in a little bit. You just see it, you know, what was it, six plays later, Notre Dame ties it up. And then, you know, come out on offense with uh, with a bum Burmeister and you can't move the ball at all. And then 
I, I think well, what did he do? He ran on was it third and third and ten. He got nine. Uh, was was that that or maybe that was earlier in the game and they choose not to go for it and I don't know it was it was just one of those times where you look at it and it's like I, on paper Notre Dame should have should have easily been able to win that game because they Virginia Tech's outmatched across the board with four or five star types of players this was not talent this was not a talent level competition at all Virginia Tech went into that game on paper less talented and had every opportunity to win and once again failed to put it away and you can look at this whole season and you can think well Virginia Tech's only you know two two or three plays nine points away from being undefeated but at the same time like those nine points should have easily been able to be to, to, to come by right like the West Virginia from the red zone issues that they had even Notre Dame, the red zone issues, the, the touchdown that's called back for uh, the ineligible players downfield, chasing the points early with the two-point conversion, false start, and still going with it with a backup quarterback. It, it's just there's one common denominator there, and this wasn't a talent issue. This was a coaching issue. Virginia Tech got outcoached, again, becoming a theme. And, uh, you know, we'll see Pat Narduzzi this weekend probably licking his chops, thinking he's going to outcoach Justin Fuente. And, you know, honestly, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to see that happen. I want to talk about some of those coaching decisions, the ones that I find to be particularly egregious. And maybe we can talk through them, a little group therapy session here. Tech goes up on the Jermaine Waller pick six. And you have the false start penalty. Justin Fuente opts to go for two from, I believe, the eight-yard line that fails, leaves a point on the field. Later in the game, after Notre Dame has come back and tied it up, which obviously that one point looms large when you would have otherwise, I mean, obviously, maybe the game butterfly effect doesn't play out the same, but you know that one point could have been there. It's now a tie ball game. Virginia Tech gets the ball back. Three plays, three and out to the one-yard line at their own 27, where Justin Fuente then chooses to punt, despite the fact Notre Dame had essentially just run rough shot on Virginia Tech in the previous drive. The rest is history. Notre Dame easily gets the yards needed to set up the field goal, and that is game over. Matei and Doug, I'll ask you both, which of these decisions do you find to be more egregious are, is there a point where you can understand the decision-making there? Do you give more credence to Justin Fuente on one of those two decisions rather than the other, or what's the deal? Yeah, I, I think the one that – so there, the third deci- third decision that y- you didn't mention was the decision to not go for two at 28-21 after the Burmeister touchdown um, when they had a chance to take it to nine. So, so I think there's three. That one, in my opinion, is the most egregious when you have the opportunity to essentially get a free possession and, and extend the lead and force them to score twice. I mean, from everything we know about football analytics and football da- data, that is a go for two every single time at this point. And to not – Fuente talked about it, called it traditional – today in the press conference you call it conserv extremely conservative i think the math and all everything about that is 
it, it just makes that decision in particular plane wrong. The other two, the fourth and one, you, you see the the scenario where he gets stuffed and they're already in field goal range as opposed to punting it down and and they're not in field goal range. So I get that one a little bit and then the, to, to to leave to leave the offense on the field from the eight on a two point conversion with your backup quarterback, you know. If I had to rank the three, I would go to to not go for two, to go for two, and then to to punt in that order. Um, you know, I just think, in particular, that the, the decision to to kick the extra point to go up eight, you may it makes you know you can't lose on the next possession, but to to go back up two scores at that point would have been massive. Yeah, I'm with Doug here. I think when you look at that decision to not go for two there, you're essentially saying, you know, that they're going to have to go for two after kicking the extra point. You're giving them two yards to get into the end zone as opposed to taking another drive entirely to go down the field and kick a field goal or score a touchdown. Um, and you're relying on a defense that for most of the game, three quarters has played so well. Um, it just seemed bizarre. It's also kind of ironic when you look at the other two-point attempt com- uh, that Virginia Tech had after the Jermaine Waller interception. I mean, the story of Virginia Tech's offense this season has been how bad they're in the red zone. They got a false start, and then they're trying to make it even more difficult from th- for themselves. And, you know, earlier in the game, they get all the way down to the one-yard line. They can't score a touchdown, and they have to settle for a field goal. So there's a lot of micro decisions that kind of sum up this game. And, you know, it's it's kind of incredible to see – that Virginia Tech had complete control and it's constantly these coaching decisions that kind of pull them out of these games where they're in clear control. The probability graph of this game was, you know, one of the most depressing things I've seen where I it was 96.7% and drops all the way to 100% for Notre Dame. Um, you know, as much as everyone wants to talk about the fourth and one, when it's a tie game and I believe there's two and a half minutes to go, you know, somewhere around there. I don't think that one's too much of a decision. Again, looking at your defense and how well they're playing. Uh, I get it. You know, they just gave up a lot, a long touchdown drive to Notre Dame, but, but overall, I don't think that's a decision that necessarily loses you the game. You don't expect them to go all the way down the field and kick that game winning field goal. Um, But yes, the other two decisions, definitely. I think, you know, looking at them now, and of course, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. But both those decisions were awful. Like I, I know we're talking about coaching decisions, and all we focused on here is offense. But what was the defense that Virginia Tech decided to run on those those last two Notre Dame possessions? Like it felt like, and I get it that Justin Hamilton is a is a Bud Foster guy. You know, he he learned under him, coached under him, all of that. But it felt eerily similar to a Bud Foster prevent defense that we've seen for years blow up in their face, right? Like, you're up, and they bring in another quarterback, one that you have prepared for. This isn't a situation where, um, you know, they didn't know that who Jack Cohn was or they weren't prepared for him. They were prepared for him to play. Obviously, he started. They did well. He gets benched comes back in and it was kind of like we're just going to go into this massive prevent bend don't break off our defense and was it I think it was six plays and and I don't know it felt like a minute I don't know what the time of possession was 
uh, after Burmeister's touchdown. And, and it's a tie game again. Like, you were giving up chunk yards after chunk yards. It looked like a, you know, a three-man rush uh, for, for the better part of that. You were getting no press on the line. You were giving massive, massive cushions. And they were just eating up yards. So, like, when you look at the, the, the entire, entirety of the game, like, obviously the offense had a lot of issues. Um, Justin Fuente made some bad decisions. But I think Justin Hamilton made some bad decisions, too. I think we kind of absolved that because of the, the way that we look at the season and the way that, uh, you know, you look at Justin Fuente, he's the head man, he's an offensive type of guy, and there's offensive issues, and, and that goes hand in hand. And I think, you know, I'm not saying that Justin Fuente didn't have his share of issues because he clearly did. But I think some of that blame also needs to lay at the feet of, of Justin Hamilton. I think he did a good job for good portions of the game. But that last two drives, you know, the drive to tie and the, the drive to win for Notre Dame, that, that, was, that was bad defense. And it wasn't just bad defense because Dax Hollyfield goes out. That was bad defense by design. Yeah, I, I don't. I just. I don't get the thought process there. Of, I guess maybe keep them in front of you and see what happens. But once they score that touchdown and tie, and you you go nowhere, I don't understand the lack of aggression and trying to make a play on defense and send it to overtime instead of let's let Notre Dame pick up chunk yards, come down, kick a field goal to win it, and hope they miss. Like. That is that's coaching to lose right there. That's that's not anything coaching to win. And I think that at this level of football and what the Virginia Tech fan base demands and deserves, I think that was that's pretty high up there on the list for me of of coaching decisions that were very questionable in this game. Strong words there from Evan, and I tend to agree, but it is befuddling in a sense you look at when Jack Cohn was in early in the game and Virginia Tech's defense was aggressive and made him look like the flawed quarterback that created a quarterback controversy in South Bend in the first place obviously at the end of the game we know that Notre Dame has to move the ball and they need to move it quickly they throw the quarterback with the best you know downfield arm that they have in there and it was like clockwork is that all coaching Matei and Doug, or do you think the players were just gassed, I guess? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I it, it's weird to say because in the beginning of the game, like you mentioned, it looked like the defensive line was getting pressure. The linebackers were sound in their coverage. And then later on in the game, I mean, aside from the first quarter where there's two sacks, one by Amari Barno, one by Josh Fuga, and I believe it was Jalen Griffin combined for one. There was no other sacks for the rest of the game. There was four quarterback pressures in total. The defensive line can't even hit home on one of the, you know, worst offensive lines that Virginia Tech is going to see. I mean, even Brian Kelly said there was a resurgence in how they were operating in this game. And I think when you can't get your defensive line to hit home, you're losing your middle linebacker, putting in uh, Dean Ferguson that didn't play a great game, at least according to PFF. And then your defensive backs are essentially out there on the field, just, you know, running for dear life. When um, Jack Cohn is able to to throw with whatever time he wants. Uh, it, it's just a product of execution. The calls were prevent, like, you know, Evan was saying. It was just a recipe for disaster. It felt like 
the defense figured out Jack Cohn in the beginning. They got a lot more hesitant once Tyler Buckner was in the game because they were aware that, you know, if they go too far, he's going to scramble for yardage. And all of a sudden Jack Cohn comes back into the game and it seems like the defense doesn't know how to figure him out. Um, and clearly with the last two drives of the game, uh, you know, Jack Cohn was able to pick his spots, hit his targets. And, you know, if anything, it looked like he had no more flaws because he looked like the prototypical Notre Dame-esque quarterback that could hit whatever wide receiver he wanted. So as much as I do agree with Evan, and I think there's a, you know, a philosophy that, you know, play prevent, keep guys in front of you that seems to you know, be flawed in these late game situations. I think there's just as much blame on the execution. There was even, you know, Chamari Connor at one point was all the way in the backfield next to Jack Cohn with the ability to tackle him. Uh, and it would have been at least a 10 yard loss. He misses that again. So, you know, between execution, between play calling, it's just, I think the biggest, you know, I would put maybe the play calling at number two, but I think the defensive line pressure is number one in terms of issues. But here, here's what my, my thing with that, though, too, is Virginia Tech has made their name on corners. Like, you can't, you can't really fault that. Virginia Tech's history is Michael Vick and their corners. Like, you have Jermaine Waller, who's an NFL-bound corner. Dorian Strong's played well. You have Amari Chapman that's played well, other than getting a ball to the face mask or, or the middle of his chest. And, and as somebody on the board said, and I'm still laughing about it, has flip-flop hands. Um, you know, you have great corners for this situation. Be aggressive. I don't understand game on the line, let's give 10-yard cushion for every play against a – pass happy quarterback go you know jam at the line play man to man if you get beat make them beat your strength right like if they want to if they want to try and, and beat you going one-on-one -on -one against jermaine waller and they do hey at least you at least you manned up and you you know you may take it on the chin but man you gave it your best honest effort to to I'm I'm tired of seeing these ten yard cushions. I, I get playing zone, and I, I understand that. But game is on the line. You're getting, you know, a three man. You're doing basically a three man rush, and this trying to keep everything in front of you. I I don't understand it. I I, I can see it in certain situations, but in this situation, tie game, or you just went up and you got a chance to knock off number fourteen in your house in front of. You know, 60-some thousand fans going nuts. Blacksburg would be a party for a week. Man up and play some defense the way that you've been playing defense for most of the game. Even if the outcome is it, it doesn't come out, it doesn't change anything. If if Notre Dame still comes and scores, at least you said, like, you know, they, they went one-on-one -on -one and it got beat. This just was like you didn't even try. And that, to me, is really... Just just watching it is really questionable. Doug, the defense overall. This game was billed as a weak offense versus a strong defense both ways. And as I mentioned before, Virginia Tech's defense came out and punched Notre Dame in the mouth for a full quarter. Uh, 25 yards of total offense through three drives. And then suddenly Notre Dame kind of started operating and it seemed like you know, despite the issues that they were having at the quarterback position between Ben and Cohn and the injury to Buckner, 
they were like a a ball rolling down a hill that was gaining steam until it was too late for Virginia Tech. The numbers, whether it be yards per carry, yards per play, both ahead of Notre Dame's season averages here. So Virginia Tech let Notre Dame have a better game offensively in most major categories than everyone else that Notre Dame has faced, at least on average. Did the defense disappoint you on Saturday? I thought the defense was fine. I think Matei and Evan covered the the last two drives pretty well. Um, I just I think Virginia Tech missed opportunities earlier in the game to put the game away. Uh, the defense Notre Dame didn't score until midway through the second quarter, so the defense gave the offense a quarter and a half of a shutout to to, to put the game away. Virginia Tech had the ball four times uh, with a chance to to take a two score lead. You know, got three points out of that, and that was when they were at the one-yard line going in first and goal and ended with a field goal. So, you know, I thought, I, you know, if you told me Notre Dame was going to have 21 points with three minutes and 55 seconds left, you know, I would say that's the defense did its job. Um, there was plenty of opportunities there for the offense to put the game away, for the coaching staff to put the game away. Um and it didn't happen. And, and you know, what what Notre Dame did was what we kind of felt was the way they were going to win the game. They, they, they'd been terrible all year. We covered that pretty well going in, like, historically bad offense. And they, for, for a good chunk of this game, they were just sort of bad. They were less bad than they'd <laughs> been all year. And... That was enough for, I mean, Kyron Williams at one point was shedding tackles and doing everything he could. He still finished with 81 yards. I'm fine with Kyron Williams getting 81 yards on the ground. Um, I think Virginia Tech's defense was, did its job until those last, you know, three minutes. And that's when the, you know, (laughs) I was as dumbfounded as Evan there was at the end with the cushion on the sideline. It looked like they were going after the safeties a little bit and, Maybe that's after after Hollyfield went out. They started attacking up the middle of the field a little bit. Who knows? But um, up until that point, they were good. I thought they, they'd given Virginia Tech's offense a chance to win the game, and that's all you could have asked. Going back to Virginia Tech's offense, and Braxton Burmeister, we know what happened with the injury. And as Evan mentioned earlier, poor coaching decisions may have robbed him of his Kirk Gibson home run, Michael Jordan flu game, Kurt Schilling bleeding sock moment where the guy that really shouldn't be able to do it ultimately leads the team to victory regardless. Looking at his performance, he was the team's leader in rushing. Were you satisfied with his play considering the injury? Do you think that the coaching staff did a good enough job in unleashing his true potential like so many fans and analysts had been asking following the West Virginia game, following the debacle against Richmond. I, I think Braxton Burmeister put the team on his back and gave everything he could to win that game. I mean, that's all you can ask for is they did not lose that game because of Braxton Burmeister. As a quarterback, he... Uh, he made some big plays, made some big plays with his legs. Uh, obviously, after the injury, coming back in, uh, you know, even uh, even hurt. I mean, you 
you could see everybody that saw that game could see how much pain he was in. Uh, and still to be able to go out there and, and get that touchdown, uh, the, the throw to, to Trey Turner that should have been caught. I mean, that was a, that would have been a game defining moment as well. That was, that was a well-placed ball, um, a well-thrown ball. I think, I think we started to see a little bit more of Braxton Burmeister and his moxie over Braxton doing always what is called and always trying to play within the bounds that he's given. I think it was, you know, he looked a little looser. He did well getting rid of the ball. He did well escaping when he needed to, trying not to take a lot of big hits. Obviously, he took the one that messed up his shoulder even worse. Um, But, you know, I think that we saw glimpses of what black braxton burmeister actually is and i mean i think looking at it it was it was enough to win some football games it was enough to knock off notre dame in lane stadium and he did enough to win that game and that's all you can ask for from him that run to to take a 29 21 lead or whatever one of the all-time great missed opportunities of virginia tech history for that to go down as a loss that everybody eventually forgets that play for him to, to score on that play nuts and the and the throw to turner i mean would have rendered all that this whole conversation would have been done if he if he if he completes that pass just 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 a whole another if the, ball, the caught. Yeah. if the ball is caught like it's burmeister's like it's one of the greatest performances of Virginia Tech history. He can barely lift. I, I, I wasn't even sure he could throw the ball at that point. Um, and it would have rendered every decision by Justin Fuente, every all the defense, it would have just been over. It would have just been the Braxton Burmeister story. It exemplifies the grit that they talk about. That run, I mean, regardless, like, you know, if Tech had won that game, it, it doesn't matter that what happened from there on it doesn't matter that Notre Dame is highly inflated at 14 that run would have been shown similarly to Mike Vick's run against West Virginia granted different circumstances I get whoa whoa I get it no I'm saying it would have been used by Virginia Tech in that type of way they showed that they show his run against Boston College this would have been a run that they could have used for recruiting they could have used for hype videos. They could have used for years to come of this guy can barely move and gets this touchdown to will his team to a win over number 14 in Lane Stadium, second top 15 win of the season. You can sell that. I'm not saying it's anywhere close to the outcome that Mike Vick had. <laughs> I'm saying you could package it as a more relevant type of uh, type type of endorsement, a, a new type of promotion. It's watching Mike play is is it's unreal. Like just to go back and watch him play, watch his highlights and things like that. It's unreal. It was also 22 years ago, so this could have been a new packaging. Obviously you, you, uh, you will always continue to show Mike, you will always continue to show Bruce, 
but you have to have other fillers in there, right? Like some of the recruiting stuff will always have the Bucky Hodges money dance in it from Ohio State. This would have been a package to add in. I don't know that you can add that in now with a loss, right? Like that should have been the defining moment crowd the crowd rushing the field again to celebrate with Braxton Burmeister he could barely hold himself up that's like a you know that's that's a a picture perfect recruiting and selling moment and and it's just now it's kind of a it's kind of a wash like you could use it but it's like oh they lost the game like that's a good run but hey you lost the game so I think that it's a way you could be they could use that to be more relevant they could use that uh, you, you you can't you can't argue had Virginia Tech won that game that Braxton Burmeister run that clip would have been on Sports Center front and center Sunday morning and would have been aired thousands of times between Saturday night and by, right now when we're recording this and instead it's kind of a lost cause right like it was it was cool but you know they lost the game and all the highlights are now about Notre Dame it, it just would have been a perfect way to package it into a new recruiting effort, something that happened in the ACC, something that happened under Fuente, something that happened in Lane Stadium, knocking off nationally relevant Notre Dame. All the boxes were there. Burmeister did his part, and and it just just failed around him. Uh, And I think that's just a big missed opportunity. Well, Evan, that little spiel has, has me oddly emotional now about what could have been. Uh, Matei, <laughs> I mean, uh, Evan, Evan's completely right, but looking at it holistically as we look forward here, and we got to preview Pitt a little bit before we finish up, the offensive performance, it seemed at times that maybe it was a little more promising than what we saw against West Virginia. Uh I mean, a better output than North Carolina, a better output than Richmond, if we're being honest, just 14 points of offense against Richmond. Keeping in mind the uncertainties surrounding the health of Braxton Burmeister, did this offense take a step in the right direction against Notre Dame? I think so. You know, as much as people won't remember this game for Virginia Tech's offense, I actually think there was a lot of promising signs, and you have to take it with the context of what we've seen this season, of the limitations of this offense, knowing that Braxton Burmeister, who is now hurt and who we expected to take a bigger role, at least in the zone read game, who may be unable to run for you know the rest of the season, they're going to try to keep him upright from this point moving forward. I thought they had a great game plan, and you know, with Connor Bulmerick, Blumrick. It, it at times seemed awkward whenever he came into the game, but against Notre Dame, I actually thought they used him in the right spots. I thought he was efficient when he was running the ball. I thought he spelled good reps for Braxton Burmeister. And I thought predominantly in that first half, Burmeister, Blackshear, Trey Turner, Tavion Robinson, I all thought that they had really good first halves. Not to mention when you think of Virginia Tech under Justin Fuente, at least historically, After that gut-wrenching second touchdown from Notre Dame and Virginia Tech is down four points with the ball deep in their territory, I don't have any statistics whatsoever to back this up, but it feels like 95% of the time Justin Fuente is taking a knee there, running the guys into the locker room and regrouping, going with the second-half script, 
to march down the field, to have the ability to at least throw the ball down the field and give JPR and credit to JPR for having a stellar game after what we've seen this season. But to get points with 30 seconds to go, push the ball down the field. I mean, when you're bringing in a guy that's historically, you know, known for his offensive prowess and you don't see those results at the end of the half to do that, that was huge. That was a huge point in the game to get three points there, go in the locker room down one. If you're a Virginia Tech fan, you take that any day of the week against number 14 Notre Dame at home. I thought the, you know, Raheem Blackshear running into the line, bouncing outside, actually making a play in the running game to score that touchdown was huge. Um, Obviously, Tavion Robinson, if the lineman wasn't downfield, I mean, I don't know how valid that call was from my seat, but, um, you know, there was a lot to like from this offense. I thought, you know, when they got to the one yard line and only put up three points, that's again, you know, red zone struggles, but there was a very, you know, by the end of the third quarter, Virginia Tech could have had 28 points on offense. And I think you take that any day, especially considering you're playing Notre Dame. So I thought the game plan was good. Obviously, guys got hurt. Uh, the running game, there's still not a lot of talent in that room or guys breaking out. But overall, I think this was an encouraging sign for the Virginia Tech offense. You would like to see them take the next level, obviously. But for what they are, I thought this was, you know, a, a pretty solid performance. And Last how bad but- was it? That- how bad was it we actually saw a true RPO from Braxton Burmeister like we've been wanting to see for so long, and it's called back for an ineligible receiver downfield? I, I get it that that stuff happens with RPOs. I, I understand it. It's part of the game. It's part of the rule changes. I think I would like to see that that rule change a little bit further, especially if you're not impacting uh, the play at all. But, man, that was – I know we I know we we find a lot of faults with the coaching staff. That was a great call. That was a great call. Great execution by Burmeister. Great catch by Tavion Robinson for what would have been what would have been a touchdown, but uh, obviously the offensive line didn't uh, didn't execute it to the highest of their ability, probably thinking that Burmeister was going to run it, but still man, that that's when we've talked for weeks now about seeing the RPO actually be a true RPO. We finally see it, and it's called back for something outside of the quarterback, uh, quarterback's hands. That was, yeah, that, that's just that's just one of those things that's just frustrating to watch. The running back room has, I guess, added to the rotation. Malachi Thomas, the true freshman, now a part of the fold there. Keyshawn King still getting carries. Jalen Holston and Raheem Blackshear, obviously, as well. For me, I think that Blackshear has almost certainly stuck out as the better of the running backs in that room. He was certainly the most versatile. We knew that going into the season, and I think he was playing the best of anyone in that game. What do you make of this running back by committee approach where the committee is expanding rather than contracting as we get more information as the season goes on? Yeah, I thought it was, you know, it feels feels like they could be using Blackshear more. Um I think the first three games of the year, we saw the same thing with Trey Turner in the last two games. I think he's got 10 targets and nine targets. So they figured out how to get him the ball a little more. Clearly they're getting Robinson the ball. I think Blackshear's the third piece. They got to figure out how to, how to keep him involved. I think, you know, I think he brings the best, the most ability to make something out of nothing out of any of the running backs. Um, 
it sounded today like Kashawn King got a little hurt there, and that's why Malachi Thomas came in. But it also uh, sounded like they were planning on playing Thomas at some point this year. But in my opinion, I think it needs to shrink down to mostly Blackshear and not a whole lot anybody else. I think he he adds that that level of you know he's he's a little, he's more versatile. He, he can catch passes out of the backfield. That spin move that he had there on the sideline. That's the kind of play that he can make. And, you know, Virginia Tech, I think he played his, I think it was his season high snaps, like 32, I saw. And this is a guy that was regularly regularly playing over 50 snaps at Rutgers. He's, he's fully capable of doing it, and he's the best. He's the most talented running back Virginia Tech has, and I think that, I think they need to play him like that and, and give him a chance to become kind of that third playmaker along with Turner and Robinson um, because that's what it's going to take for Virginia Tech to get to the end of the season is they need a, they need someone else to emerge. If they, if they, if they have really figured out how to get Trey Turner 10, you know, if you factor in a couple jet sweeps a game that he's going to keep getting Trey Turner gets 12 to 13 touches a game and Virginia Tech's probably running 60 plays. So he gets 20% of the touches. That's fine. Robinson gets a decent amount of touches. That's great. You need a, they need a third playmaker. I think Blackshear's clearly that guy. And, you know, at this point, if you're giving the ball to Holston King and Malachi Thomas, I think it's, I think you're not playing the best guy most of the time then at that point. All right. Well, I think we have, reviewed Notre Dame to the extent it is worth reviewing. And we learned something about Virginia Tech in that game. And we've also learned over the course of the first four games that you actually can get better in your fifth year of college football. Kenny Pickett, his career high for touchdowns in a season previously was 13. He did it twice. He did it in 2020. He did it in 2019. In 2018, he had 12. So far in 2021, 19 touchdowns to one interception. He's completing 72% of his passes. What Tech got from Notre Dame coming into last week's matchup was the benefit of uncertainty at the quarterback position for your opponent. Clearly not the case right now with Pittsburgh. Doug, I'm sure you're working on your game preview right now. What has changed with Kenny Pickett? This is a guy who I had dubbed previously as the Kirk Cousins of the ACC, a guy that wasn't going to lose you games, but the guy that wasn't very special either. Right now, he's in Heisman conversations. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite a turnaround for for Pickett. You know, I think for the last three years, We've been talking about him as a mid-level ACC quarterback. And, you know, I, I I do think a little bit they've played UMass and New Hampshire. So let's go ahead and get that out there. They've played three games, basically. But he's still been very, very, very good. Um, they didn't lose to Western Michigan because of Kenny Pickett. Uh, he's, you know, he's got the experience and the confidence and all that's coming together. He's also got a pretty darn good offensive line uh i think they've allowed eight sacks which is top 20 in the country he has the he's on average he's getting 
3.25 seconds to throw in the pocket. And he's got some very, very talented receivers. Addison, the guy in the slot, is is electric and had a big freshman year last year. And he's he's doing it again this year. Tasir Mack is back healthy. He's a deep ball guy. So he's you know, he's a he's a quarterback that's played a ton of football, that has an offensive line that keeps him upright and gives him and his receivers time to pick apart a defense. I mean, it's hard to hang with any receiver running across the field for for it for an extended period of time he's going to find the open 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 lanes and you know that's what we're seeing out of Kenny Pickett I think you know looking at the Pittsburgh quarterback situation and what they're getting out of Kenny Pickett it's what you would want to see out of Virginia Tech's program if you compare what has happened at the quarterback position over the last four or five years with the revolving door without being able to find that one guy, Pittsburgh, you know, probably wasn't convinced that Kenny Pickett was a top-notch quarterback for much of the past three or four years, but they stuck with him, and now they're paying the dividends um, here in here in 2021. So I think, you know, when you can get a fifth year, sixth year, I don't know if he's actually on a sixth year, but we can get an experienced quarterback who's really good. That makes your entire team so much better. I think that's basically what we're seeing. Defensively, looking at Pittsburgh, this was a team with a heck of a pass rush last year. Offense seems to be the backbone of this unit. Is this an opportunity for Virginia Tech's offense to maybe go out there and win them a game? Potentially. I don't think Virginia Tech's offense is good enough to hang with Pittsburgh's offense, but there should be some points to score. I mean, they lost Rashad Weaver, Paris Ford, Patrick Jones off the last year's. I think they had five defensive players drafted um, off last year's defense, which is pretty nuts. But uh, Haba Baldonado is the new defensive end along with uh, Kalijah Kansi. I mean, they're, they're the next man up for Pittsburgh in terms of great defensive linemen, uh, really solid, really experienced linebackers. The secondary is where I think you can, you know, the corners aren't as good as that front seven. So, you know, clearly they gave a 40, 44 points to Western Michigan. Um, beat, you know, the best quarterback in the SEC at Tennessee. Um, so I think, you know, there's, there's, Virginia Tech should be able to score some points. I don't know if they're going to score more than they scored, you know, they scored 21 or what was it 22 against Notre Dame. I don't know that they can get to that point, especially if you if you consider that Braxton Burmeister's well under a hundred percent at this point, um, and you're going in to face one of the hottest quarterbacks in the country. So, you know, I, I think the points Tech should have some success offensively, but a, but they're going to have to have a, a a little bit more than that to, to to hang with Pittsburgh. You know, I think we've talked about the games that are coming up that Virginia Tech's going to have to figure out a way to win or compete with on, on offense is going to be, you know, the clunker where they don't have anything on offense. I think we've probably seen that one already. They got the win against Richmond, but then we've, we, you know, there's a game coming where, you know, the offense plays, you know, pretty decently, but, the, the opposing team's offense is just unstoppable. I think that, I think this could be that game. 
Evan, I want you to take the 10,000-foot view of the season right now. It's an interesting dichotomy of emotion for this Virginia Tech team. You're coming off of your second heartbreaking loss that can be pinned on a couple of plays here and there in three games. <laughs> Sandwiched the Richmond game, which was full of its fair share of disappointment in the middle. And this seems like it could be a team that's reeling. At the same time, you're 1-0 in the conference, and your divisional opponents are doing you a ton of favors. Where do you stand with this team right now? And as a unit for the coaching staff, how, how do you balance this going into conference play after such an emotional defeat? Yeah, you know, going into the season, a lot of people probably thought that Virginia Tech would be around where they are now. You know, I don't think people saw, you know, I know you all didn't because I think I was the only one that predicted it for UNC, for Virginia Tech to beat UNC. I think a lot of people thought UNC would win that game. Maybe Virginia Tech would beat West Virginia. I think most of us thought going into the year, Virginia Tech would lose to Notre Dame. But those early season project, you know, predictions basically were, were looking at what was known by us about Virginia Tech and what was unknown about other teams and trying to rack, rack and stack that. Now there's a lot more. There's a bigger picture here. You know, um, UNC turns out they're not as good as a lot of people thought. Um, not overly surprising. Crew really well but don't play overly well right now. Um, you know, you look at Notre Dame, you think that they're going to be really good. They're always, you know, got some off-season hype. They don't look very good. Uh, Virginia Tech goes to, to Morgantown, has every chance to win that game. But West Virginia is not very good. Then you look across the ACC, Pittsburgh's playing good football. Uh, Virginia's offense is, is good. Their defense is is not. Uh, Miami, who knows? I mean, they they look like they're on the verge of an implosion. Florida State looked awful, comes back and starts looking good again. Um, Clemson got a bye week this week, probably well needed for them. I mean, it's just been uh, – you, you look at what is in the ACC. Without Clemson being very good, uh, nobody is stepping up. I mean, Virginia Tech and Miami, those are typically your two teams that would step up and, and fill that role. Florida State as well step into those roles and, and that nobody wants to step up and, and make that next step. I mean, right now, Wake Forest is the dominant team in the ACC, which is, you know, shout out Dave Clawson's doing a great job there. But like, that's not what the ACC should be. The ACC should be Clemson, Florida State, Virginia Tech, Miami battling for the top four spots and everyone else beneath them. Um, that's how it ideally that's how it would look um so yeah looking at the season it's like virginia tech has every opportunity in front of them to win the acc coastal and yeah you know that a lot of that depends on braxton burmeister if he is if he can move his arm you know he'll still be able to run i guess but if he can move his arm i think virginia tech has a chance they they have the opportunity to win the Coastal, but we have to look at this also what we know about Virginia Tech is there's going to be a 
what happened moment. There's going to be bad play calling. There's going to be out coached. Uh, there might even be some out talented, you know, players punching above their their uh, rankings, their evaluations uh, coming out of high school. There might be uh, there might be some of that. So could Virginia Tech win out? Sure, I guess. I mean, the the ACC is is nuts right now. I think I think that it would be possible. It's not a zero percent chance, but you know, would I bet bet the house on it? No, I think. Uh, you know, I think Virginia Tech will probably win a few more games, maybe squeak by to be bowl eligible, depending on Braxton's uh, health. And I think there's going to be some losses that they shouldn't they shouldn't have. You wouldn't think they would have, but you know, this is a good test this weekend. I think Pitt Pitt's offense is uh, is obviously going to be the star of the weekend, the story of the weekend. I think for Virginia Tech to stay in it, they're going to have to stay within one score going into halftime. I think that's going to be a big thing for Virginia Tech. Be within a score. Um, because you're going to be playing without Dax. And I get that a lot of fans might not be as high on Dax as, as others. But Dax is the quarterback of the defense. So when you think about going into a game without Braxton Burmeister, you're thinking about the same thing on the defensive side going in without Dax, right? Like, he's out for the first half. You, you don't know who you're replacing him with. It could be Dean Ferguson. could be uh, Kashad Artis. I think, uh, I think pop, personally, I might go with Artis over uh, Ferguson just based off what we've seen. But you don't have the quarterback of the defense out there. So if Virginia Tech can say within one score going into halftime, they have a chance to win this game. Virginia Tech still has a chance to win the ACC Coastal. I don't see it happening. Um, but the, the chances there, I mean, crazier things have happened. The ACC is a, is a mess this year. So it'll be interesting to follow over the next few weeks who plays well, who doesn't, what, who wins, who loses, what upsets there are. Because the ACC, I mean, it's kind of a pick them every week, honestly. And unless, maybe unless it's Duke, they have not looked very good at all. Um, besides them, I think it's kind of a pick them every week. So. You know, this holistic view of Virginia Tech, they still control their own destiny, but that, you know, when it used to be a maybe a wider field of uh, you can make some mistakes here or there and, and people around you are kind of helping your cause, Virginia Tech is, uh, you know, without Burmeister, that margin of error gets significantly smaller. They're going to have to play some darn good football moving forward, especially on the defense. The defense is going to have to step up and really support the offense uh, and see what happens at the quarterback position to see if the Hokies can even even make a shot uh, at, at the Coastal. And it's it's honestly one of those things where you look at it and you're like, everything lines up for Virginia Tech to get back to the ACC championship and have a chance to actually do something there if Clemson's not in it. And then – you know, it's it's just bad coaching, it's uh, injuries, it's, you know, poor execution uh, from your from your key players in certain situations. So it'll be a big test this weekend. I predict that Pitt will win that game. And I think we're going to start to see a bit of an implosion uh, from in, from Blacksburg. I think the players seem to still be bought in from everything we're hearing. You know, it's 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 two tough losses 
but it's losses that were, you know, nine points in total. It's losses that you correct a few things and you you could, you know, you could see the ball bouncing the other direction. But if you go against Pitt and it's demoralizing, you know, Pat Narduzzi is is not afraid to try to run up the score. If it gets out of hand, I think we are going to see a downward spiral at Virginia Tech. And, you know, if they lose this game bad, I, I, I don't think we will see them in a bowl game. I think it's just going to be a, uh, a downward spiral to multiple losses in a row. Matei, I'll let you have the last word here before we get into our score predictions. What matchups are you looking at in this game? Create a blueprint for me for Virginia Tech to come back from this disappointing loss and emerge victorious in an extremely important conference game at home, homecoming, but should be a pretty good crowd against Pittsburgh and what, quite frankly, is the most important game of the year so far. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be so tough, especially, you know, with all the emotions riding high with guys in arm slings, leg slings, all kinds of injuries for Virginia Tech. Um, it really depends on the health of Braxton Burmeister. I'm, I'm, I guess we're all expecting him to play after hearing that, you know, he should be good to go, whether that's 70%, 60%. I think they're going to trot him out as long as he can move that arm, as long as he can throw the ball. Offensively, I'd like to see a bit of what we saw against Notre Dame. Um, like Doug was saying, I don't know how good Pitt is. They look elite on both sides of the ball but that's largely because of the competition they're playing. You know, credit to them. They had a really good and complete game against Georgia Tech. But, you know, seeing a bit more of Raheem Blackshear, I think, is a good start. Just seeing how versatile he was against Notre Dame, getting him more touches. It seems to be, at least from the Richmond game, that the pair of Trey Turner and Tavion Robinson are going to be targeted a bunch more in the passing game. Getting those guys the ball and having them make plays is another good start. Um, you know, protecting whoever is back there is going to be big, especially against this Pittsburgh defensive line. So your offensive philosophy is you got to get the ball to your playmakers um, and you got to make some plays, march down the field. You can't afford to be in good positions where you're deep in the red zone and settle for three points, especially against this offense. Defensively, that's where I'm most, you know, curious about because you lose Dax Hollyfield, I think. You know, and I'm curious to hear your guys' opinions, but I, I think there's just such a gap at that middle linebacker position. And knowing that you're facing an offense with Kenny Pickett that has built such a great rapport with his wide receivers, he's throwing back shoulder fades, he's throwing all types of things, he's making plays happen inside, outside the pocket. I almost wonder if, you know, maybe you slide over Alan Tisdale to middle linebacker. You put Shamari Connor at backer. Maybe you play all three cornerbacks at once and kind of play the dime package all game. Um, they haven't shown a ton of explosiveness in the running game. Um, they obviously commit to the run, but they haven't had a run at longer than 25 yards this year. And I think, you know, they've had looks like seven or eight guys that have had 25 plus yard catches this year. So they really commit to the passing attack. Kenny Pickett's probably going to throw 45 times. I, I wonder if you change the philosophy and, you know, we've seen it on third and, you know, obvious passing downs that Justin Hamilton is willing to throw more defensive backs into the game, get guys that are naturally better at covering, but um, you know, defensively, that's where the biggest question mark is for me, for me. I think, Virginia Tech, at least offensively and through special teams, can do enough to put points on the board. But really just, 
you know, keeping guys in check, keeping Addison in check, I think it will be, you know, I, I think you got to put the best guys in coverage on the field and, uh, you know, just make Pittsburgh prove it in the ground game. All right. Well, without further ado, let's get our score predictions. But Tank, you can go first. It seems like the most Virginia Tech thing to win this game coming off an emotional defeat against Notre Dame. It makes no sense. Pittsburgh had a bye week. Uh, they have Kenny Pickett performing, you know, at a Heisman caliber type level. Um, they have some of the best wide receivers, maybe not naturally talented, but at least performing wise in the ACC. The running game is like I mentioned, you need to prove it uh, to be effective. But if you're good at one thing, might as well do it. Um, all in all, as much as I think that Pittsburgh is a bit overhyped with the schedule that they've played, I think they come down, you know, a little bit against Virginia Tech. But, you know, I just think so many things happened against Notre Dame. And sure, the margin wasn't that wide, but playing against Pittsburgh, I think Pittsburgh is a much more legitimate team than Notre Dame. I, I think, you know, with all the injuries to quarterbacks, it's how can you possibly predict Virginia Tech is going to do well in this game? You know, with arguably their two most important players, you could argue with Dax Hollyfield and uh, Braxton Burmeister, both, you know, one's not playing until the second half and one we don't even know how healthy he is. I think it's going to be Pittsburgh by quite a bit. I'd, you know, I'd even go as far as saying it's a 42 to 24 type game. Yeah, I'm going with 35-21 on this one, Matei. I think you hit the nail on the head. Doug, what do you think? I think the North Carolina game plan makes a lot of sense in terms of keeping Kenny Pickett off the field, but I think that only works if you can play from ahead. And, I, and I'm not sure how likely that is when you're missing your Mike linebacker for the first for the first half of the game. And, you know, it's going to be really ch challenging for Virginia Tech secondary to to really hang with the receivers, uh, you know, I think I think Pittsburgh is just that deep there. Then it, it's gonna it's gonna be a challenge. I, I I like Matei's idea of kind of abandoning the the traditional mic and going with the 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 nickel or whatever you want to call it defense. They ran out a little bit, but um, yeah, I, I think I think the Pittsburgh offense is just gonna be too much. Um, for for Virginia Tech defense that won't be won't have their Mike linebacker doesn't you know they didn't get much pressure on Notre Dame there in the last three quarters um, so I don't think you can count on that and then I you know if you're if you're just trying to cover Pittsburgh's wide receivers for sixty minutes they're gonna they're gonna hit you for some big plays at some point so you know I think it's gonna be I'll go thirty seven twenty Pittsburgh um, and I you know I think we have to keep an eye on what's happening in Blacksburg as far as the, the, the beginning of the end there and, and where the season goes, uh, you know, I think, I think, I think Justin Fuente has asked this particular group to stick with it and stick with him for three full season, three, three, three seasons now, 2018, 2019, 2020. And, uh, you know, you, you just wonder how many more times he can get them to 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 stay with it through adversity and and you know last week against Notre Dame didn't didn't help at all so you know I think 
this is this is this is the team that you do not want to play right now if you're Virginia Tech, and and then you add in that Braxton Burmeister is less than a hundred percent, and he's basically the the entire offense right now, and who really knows who's the backup quarterback? Um, I guess it's Kadem, but you don't want to be playing him. So I think it's a tough situation for Virginia Tech and 37-20. Evan, I don't think we're expecting positivity out of you on this one based on some of the comments that you've made so far in this podcast, but give us your thoughts. Yeah, I think the the uh, the two things that can help Virginia Tech in this game is uh, if Pittsburgh can uh, step on their own feet. You know, I think they're going to be the ones that slow themselves down more so than Virginia Tech. And that's, you know, if they do that, uh, that's the only thing I think that could see Virginia Tech really getting an advantage. I think defense, I wouldn't be shocked to see a couple turnovers. I know I know Pickett's taking care of the ball really well. I think uh, Virginia Tech's defensive backs, especially Jermaine Pollard, Shannon Mack for, for creating turnovers this year. Not sure how much he will be tested, um, but we're looking at a, you know, even with a healthy Braxton Burmeister, I think Pittsburgh probably wins this game. So you have a less than healthy Braxton Burmeister possibly splitting some some reps with maybe Knox or I don't know who else they would use there. Um to try and keep him somewhat healthy. You have a defense without Dax for the first half. Uh, you have uh, the makings. I mean, Pitt coming off a of bye. You have Narduzzi's history with Virginia Tech and the offense that they've had so far this year. I, I don't see it being close. You know, I think, I think this will be something like a 41-17 type of situation. I, I, without, without a fully healthy Braxton, I don't think Virginia Tech puts up 21 points on offense. Um, you can try and feed Raheem. That might be your best bet. Maybe even go wildcat with him. I don't know. Um, you know, if you have Knox throwing out there to, to Turner and to, to Robinson, they're not going to beat anybody deep. I don't think he has the arm for a deep ball. Um, so it's going to be more intermediate stuff. Maybe you can move the chains a little bit, get in the red zone. Who knows what happens there, judging by this. This year so far, you're not going to get points there or you're going to kick field goals and you're not going to win this game kicking field goals. So, yeah, I think uh, I don't think the offense is going to do nearly enough to stay in tune with Pitt. But like Matei said, it would be the most Virginia Tech thing ever to go out and actually win this game and have a good offense and defense put everything together and, you know, win another conference game and maybe try to propel yourself towards a future implosion of a game. Uh, later on in the season so you know I think I think looking at it right now what we know they say Braxton's healthy I don't buy it I think he's going to be well under 100 percent and uh, I don't think the offense is going to be able to do too much so yeah I think uh, what I say 41 17 I think that's that's probably where I'm going to be we are all on the same page expectations not high for Virginia Tech's matchup against Pittsburgh. Hopefully we'll be proven wrong and we can do a Syracuse preview with a little more of an optimistic tone. Gentlemen, anything you got to say before we check out for the night? Yeah, I just had to get on the record that since we all think it's going to be a blowout if 
anything we know about the ACC, it's, it's probably not going to be a blowout. Then at that point, it's probably going to be like sixteen to fourteen or something like that. I don't, I don't think we mentioned it enough. But after all, like I know we're all saying, you know, th- these are tough times in Blacksburg. You know, there could be a major decision for a head coaching change. The the players in the program are gonna, you know, opt out or whatever. We have to keep in mind, and we didn't mention it enough. Pittsburgh did lose to Western Michigan. Okay, so like this isn't this isn't like a miracle thing. Um, obviously, emotions still with Notre Dame. I'm sure it's tough to turn the page. They keep using that line: turn the page, turn the page. Pittsburgh had a bye week. It has all the makings of a blowout, but that's exactly when you when you doubt Virginia Tech, you're usually right. When you completely count them out, you're usually wrong. I want to add in that uh, Matei didn't wear Crocs to the Notre Dame Virginia Tech game, and Notre Dame won it in the last minute. I think that that there's a lot of correlation there, uh, and I think that we should all squarely put that loss at the feet. The crockless feet of Mattel. Oh, that was a good pun, actually. I think that's a good note to end it on, gentlemen. We'll be back following the Pittsburgh game, breaking it all down and previewing the Syracuse Orange coming to town. Enjoy your week. Shake off the loss. Have fun on Saturday. And as always, go Hokies.